One of my favorite ways to unwind is by playing a game on my phone while I relax on the couch. And June's Journey is my new favorite as it combines several of my favorite things, finding hidden items, decor and design, and solving a murder. In June's Journey, you dive into June's captivating quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret while discovering the truth behind the unexplained death of her sister. As you uncover clues, you also get to build your own island estate with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. You get to collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. You get to chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, the world. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I am Courtney Eck. I'm Sadie Eck. And we're sisters, and we're going to talk about murder tonight. So if you're not here for murder, you are going to be really confused and probably a little bit emotionally upset, and maybe <laughs> your feelings are going to get a little hurt. So <laughs> stop now, go get a drink, and take care of yourself if you're not here for murder. Uh, but if you are, welcome. Welcome, you psychopath. Psychopath? Psychopath. <laughs> it just came wow. right out. Yeah, okay, good. You, all psychopaths, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> is your story tonight about a psychopath? Uh, sure is. Great. I'll let you take it away then. All right. I'm going to talk to you about the murder of Gregory May. Great. In April 2001, retired truck driver Ronald Telfer pulled into a Kearney, Missouri truck stop northeast of Kansas City. He was curious about a five-gallon white plastic bucket he saw a month ago. Really? Yeah, he saw it a month before and was curious <laughs> about this bucket. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I, I mean, <laughs> He's poor, got a memory. Poor guy doesn't He's have a lot remembering. going on in his life. No. <laughs> you know what? I, you know, it's the damnedest thing. I saw this white plastic bucket a month ago and I cannot stop thinking about it. Yep. <laughs> I can't wait to find out. <laughs> I know. I oh actually... my god! If if you're new to this podcast, I'm so sorry. <laughs> we usually get much further along than this, but uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it was abandoned in the back parking lot of a truck stop, and he thought it would be perfect to use to feed his pigs. Oh my god! I know. Cute. It would be a shame to let it go to waste. When he tried to pick it up, it was very heavy. Uh, he guessed it was filled with hardened concrete. He tried slamming it against the pavement, and when he did, a strong odor came out of the bucket. Oh, no. Eventually, the top cracked off, and inside he saw something that looked like meat and skin. Uh, the smell was unbearable. Ron, who clearly hadn't listened to enough true crime podcasts, <laughs> thought it was just animal remains. So he dumped the hunk of concrete and flesh out onto the pavement and took the bucket home. (laughs) Oh, no. Yes. Oh, no. 
Ron. Yes, he did. I know. Ron is a very specific kind of person. Yes. And I like I mean, it in a good way. I mean, he's right. adorable. Right. But also, what the fuck, Ron? Right. The whole time researching this case, all I can think of is like, you can get a five gallon bucket for like 25 bucks at the hardware store. Maybe, if even. Like, yeah. Huh. Yeah. But anyway, yes, the fact that him. he, yes, he saw a bucket one month later, came back. <laughs> <laughs> went through the effort to get the concrete dislodged from the bucket mm-hmm. and then just dumped a obviously dead body mm-hmm. onto the side of the road and went home mm-hmm. to feed his pigs. Went mm-hmm. on his merry way. Yep. Oh, Ron. Months later, on August 27th, a man was driving his truck through the same back parking lot. He saw a cylinder of concrete blocking his path, so he jumped down from his cab of his truck to move it. When he went to shove the thing out of the way, he saw hair and what looked like a human skull protruding from the top. Oh my god. When police arrived, they didn't have much to go on. They had cadaver dogs search the area for more remains, but none were found. The Kearney police sent the skull to a forensic ontologist, an anthropologist, who hoped the face had left an impression in the contours of the concrete. But unfortunately, the head had been covered with a stocking cap. So it's just a head. Yep, just a head. And Ron didn't realize that it was a head when he nope. knocked. Nope, didn't know it was a head. Oh my god. They were able to determine the skull belonged to a 40 to 60 year old man whose teeth had extensive dental work. So the part that came out of the concrete that they could see was a jawbone. And so who knows what poor Ron saw in that mm. bucket, but it wasn't super obvious, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> obviously or maybe not maybe (laughs) ron is accustomed to picking up strange buckets and finding strange things in strange buckets and he's just gotten so used to it over all these years as a trucker that he's just Mm -hmm. i mean if you're a bucket picker upper yes you're gonna find strange things in those buckets if you're the type that are gonna go search them out exactly right yes Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) ron could not be bothered he's like god God damn, another skull. I mm-hmm. no, my pigs are hungry. I gotta go. Mm-hmm. After exhausting all their leads, they decided to reach out to forensic sculptor Frank Bender. Bender was the best in the field and had done more than 40 busts for law enforcement, earning a reputation as incredibly effective at giving faces to the unidentified. Mm-hmm. When asked about his work, Bender said, quote, I call myself the recomposer of the decomposed. <laughs> 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 No, recomposer of the decomposed. It's a pretty good tagline. Yes, it's brilliant. This particular skull told him that the individual was middle-aged, a little on the heavy side, and balding. Using charts developed by anatomy experts that determined the thickness of tissue at various points over the skull, which blows my mind. Can we Very talk about that for a second? Yeah. That you can decide like how thick the tissue is on a skull based on charts like it's amazing people are um, so smart sadie they build bridges in the (laughs) The ocean ocean, i know (laughs) (laughs) that's all that you need to know about human beings Mm -hmm. to know how fucking smart we can be when we are smart that's amazing (laughs) yes we can also be incredibly stupid (laughs) but yep yeah that's mostly smart blows my mind Bender molded clay directly onto the bone and made a plaster cast. He sanded, filled, and painted the bust, and then he sculpted the hair. 
The detectives received the bust on September 26th of 2002 and were blown away with the details Bender had created. Hmm. They were hopeful this would be the break in the case they needed. A year passed without any movement in the case. One of the detectives learned about the Doe Network and posted photos of the bust there, hoping to generate some leads. This network is a nonprofit organization of volunteers who work with law enforcement to connect missing persons cases with John and Jane Doe cases. As volunteers make a potential match, this match goes to a state director, who then decides if the match should go to an administrative group for a consensus on whether it is a close enough match to submit to law enforcement. Cool. So you, you, we have one person who looks at it and says, okay, this is pretty close. She sends it to her state director who looks at it and says, okay, it's pretty close. That state director then puts it in front of a panel who has to decide. That's crazy. It's very thorough. That is very thorough, but also sort of subjective, right? Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. This process is in place so law enforcement isn't overwhelmed with leads that waste their time and resources, but it also causes these leads to take a very long time to go anywhere, and sometimes they get lost altogether. On March 17, 2005, detectives finally saw the Doe Network suggestion sent by a woman named Ellen Leach. She believed the reconstruction looked like a photo of a man named Gregory John May, who was missing from Bellevue, Iowa. Hmm. Detectives thought the lead was promising and had Greg's dental records compared to that of the remains found in the bucket, and it was a match. What? Mm-hmm. You know that Ellen was just, like, so excited to yes. get the hit. That's amazing. Yes. It's like that uh, Be My Eyes app. Do you guys know about this? Where you can mm-hmm. There's an app where you can sign up um, for blind people to call you. Which you're like, how do they know to call you? They use Siri. That was my first question. So (laughs) they'll FaceTime you and you can help them with things like, does this shirt match these pants or is this the right medicine or, you know, just whatever Mm -hmm. they need help with. (laughs) A lot of my friends and I are signed up for it. And when you get one of those hits, Mm-hmm. When somebody finally, because you can, if you don't catch the call fast enough, then it goes to somebody else. Like they, they rotate it really quickly and I've missed several, but when you finally get it, you're like, yeah, I got to <laughs> help somebody. I got, I've, I got one and I forget what it was, but it was something as simple as like, it, um, are these scissors in the right position? I was no. like, yes. <laughs> so, save the day. <laughs> yeah. So yep. I didn't identify a missing um, person. deceased person, but yeah. but I helped somebody cut something successfully. <laughs> <laughs> so Gregory May was born March 19th, 1945 in Iowa, but grew up in the Chicago suburb of Lake Forest. He got married to his wife, Sheila. They had two children, Dawn and Shannon. Greg was a tattoo artist and owned a few tattoo shops in Bellevue, Iowa. He had a reputation as one of the Midwest's most talented tattoo artists and was known for his casual style, always wearing a straw cowboy hat, denim jacket, and, quote, gentleman's loafers. Yeah. He even taught the trade to his wife, who became and not uh, the tattoo trade, not, mm-hmm. not the casual, cool outfit mm-hmm. style. Nice. Yeah, she became one of the first female tattoo artists in the United States. Wow. She, she was also one of the first to offer permanent makeup. Cool. After Greg and Sheila divorced, Sheila moved to L.A., where celebrities would flock to her L.A. salon for their permanent makeup. Nice. 
Tattoos weren't Greg's only passion. He was also known for his love of Civil War memorabilia. All right. He often traveled the country seeking out Civil War treasures and had amassed a huge collection of rare finds worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh-oh, enough thousands that somebody would cut his head off and put it in a bucket? Potentially. Oh, boy. Even through the divorce, the family stayed close. Sheila and Greg maintained a friendship, and the kids, who both moved to California, stayed in contact with their dad. Greg was known to move around when the mood struck. He lived in 40 or 50 different places in his lifetime. Wow. So it wasn't uncommon for Don and Shannon to have a hard time contacting him, but sooner than later, Greg would be in touch with his new phone number and address. Mm-hmm. By mid-January 2001, Don, who is now in his 30s, was worried. He hadn't heard from his dad in weeks, which was very unusual. He asked around. His mom and sister hadn't heard from him either. They contacted Greg's friends. Some of them mentioned that Greg had been considering a move to Florida after the town of Bellevue had turned down his request to open a new tattoo shop. Mm-hmm. They were hoping he was out of touch because he was scouting out other potential locations or driving south to Florida. But Don couldn't shake the feeling that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. The last straw came in mid-February when Greg's phone was disconnected and they still hadn't heard from their dad. He would never go this long without a call. Don and Shannon flew from California to Iowa to file a missing person report with the Bellevue police. Ugh, God, I can't imagine. No, no. When they arrived, they found their dad's house empty. Empty. Mm-mm. Everything was gone. Mm-mm. They talked to police who got in contact with Greg's girlfriend, Jan. Jan told police that she and Greg had started talking about moving to Florida together. He was sick of Iowa's winters and wanted to move somewhere warm. Greg's longtime friend, Doug, who rented out Greg's finished basement with his girlfriend, Julie, also planned to move to Florida. Mm-hmm. Greg and Doug were good friends who worked together as tattoo artists. Greg took Doug under his wing and helped him become a better artist. They were together all the time, loved to shoot pool at night, and were regulars at the local cafe. Waitresses remember Greg as quiet, friendly, but reserved. Doug was the boisterous one, always cracking jokes. After Doug's girlfriend, Julie, came to town and moved in with them, waitresses noticed a change in Doug. He would sit alone in the corner with Julie, looking somber and quiet. Uh-oh. Jan, who's Greg's girlfriend, said that she and Greg had been getting along well and were excited about their future together. Although she wasn't excited to find out that Doug and Julie were planning on moving with them to Florida. She didn't like Jug. Jug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because... Jug's a bummer, man. Yeah, man. She didn't like Doug, who was unpredictable and moody, and knew Greg didn't trust Julie. He even described her as a, quote, sneaky bitch. Aye. On January 11th, 2001, Jan left Greg's house to run a few errands and pick up clean clothes from her house. They planned to meet back up at Greg's house around 8 p.m. that night. When Jan arrived back to the house, the back door was locked. Greg had told her he would leave it open for her. So she rang the doorbell, but there was no answer. Jan walked around to the front door. The shade was almost all the way down, but she saw someone who looked like Greg from the rear. She could only see him from the waist down. He was sitting, unmoving, in a kitchen chair, legs crossed with his hands on his lap. Jan could see Julie, who was pacing as if she was nervous and wiping off something that Jan couldn't see. Uh Uh-oh. She couldn't get anyone to come to the door and thought maybe they had gotten into a fight. 
She was freezing and decided to get out of the cold and give them some time to cool down. She would come back later. She went to a nearby cafe to get some food and tried calling the house. The answering machine picked up. Quote, why won't you answer the door? Jan pleaded into the recorder. Are you mad at me? She stopped by later after she finished eating. This time she saw nothing through the partially open shade, but she heard thumps and crashes from within. She thought Greg must be really mad. He didn't usually stomp around and slam doors like that. She even called the property manager, who wouldn't unlock the door for her because she wasn't a tenant. Jan was at a loss and decided Greg would call her in the morning after he cooled off. Unfortunately, that call never came. Oh my gosh. Please call the police or something. I guess I wouldn't either. Well, I don't know. How long had they been dating? I'm not sure. I don't know. (sighs) Yeah, I guess if it's a long-term relationship, you would probably call the police or try Mm -hmm. to get in there. But if it was something fairly new, you'd be like, I don't want to be hysterical. I don't want to be weird. I get the impression it wasn't like super long term, but I don't, I think that they had been together for a little while, but I honestly don't know. Right. I mean, if they're planning to move to Florida together, but I don't know. Well, do you know how you straight people are? You just, I guess <laughs> lesbians do that way faster. Never mind. Yeah. You, you know how people you are in general. <laughs> yes. Well, I took things. a year and a half before I moved cross country to be you would my have. You now would. wife. Oh, yeah. I would have been a heartbeat. Three weeks. I played it cool, though. It's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm not (laughs) madly in love with this person. It's fine. Uh A few days later, after not hearing from Greg, Doug's girlfriend, Julie, told Jan on the phone that Greg had gone to Chicago, and he decided he didn't want Jan to join him in Florida after all. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? No. No. Awful. Awful. Jan was shocked and sad. She went to Greg's house a few days later. Greg's car, his furniture, and all of his Civil War memorabilia were gone. Mm -hmm. Greg had broken things off with Jan suddenly before, but Jan didn't think Greg was a coward who snuck off without saying goodbye. Yeah, that's pretty suspicious. Police questioned Greg's neighbors. One of them said that they saw Julie loading some of Greg's antiques into a moving truck. Someone else came forward and said that they helped Doug carry a large replica of a clipper ship from the house into the moving truck, which also had bayonets, canteens, 140-year-old newspapers, vintage and modern guns, medals, and engravings. Good God. Doug told the landlord that he and Greg were breaking their lease and leaving town. He gave away Greg's furniture to neighbors, and then he and Julie drove off. Wow. Police started looking into Doug and Julie, who were both using the last name Johnson, but couldn't find any record of them. They had no plates to run on the moving truck they were driving. Luckily, they did get a lead on Greg's missing car when it turned up abandoned in a parking lot 145 miles away in the suburb of Chicago. Mm -hmm. Police found Greg's keys and wallet inside. They were then able to track down Doug's real name, Douglas DeBruin, and learned that he was on parole for weapons possession and domestic assault in Wisconsin. Doug. Doug. Jug. He naughty people. (laughs) At the same time, friends of Greg's, who he'd met through buying and selling his Civil War memorabilia, were shocked to see more than 70 pieces from his collection, some of his most treasured items, listed for sale. Guys. They knew. I know. Go ahead. (laughs) Just guys. Guys. Uh Spread it out. Mm Mm-hmm. They knew he would never auction off these treasures. Mm -hmm. 
Police questioned the auction house and learned a woman identifying herself as Julie Johnson had said her uncle had died, leaving her and her mother an impressive collection of Confederate swords and Civil War era uniforms, valued at almost $70,000. Wow! The paperwork putting the items up for sale went to a Mary Clark in Webster, Wisconsin. A little digging showed them that Mary was the mother of Julie Johnson, whose real name was Julie Miller. When police questioned Julie's mother, she told them that Julie and Doug were living in the back of the moving truck in Flagstaff, Arizona. On April 10, 2001, Julie and Doug were arrested in Flagstaff. When they searched the truck, the police found a notebook containing an inventory of Greg's collection. His antiques included a rifle worth $10,000, a Confederate sword valued at 15000 and other items the pair claimed Greg had given them. You guys, if you're gonna kill somebody for money and stuff... Don't pick a collection that's so... Whoa! Sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry, guys. Sadie decided to play her, like... <laughs> yeah. With your stand-up bass. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's not really a stand-up bass. It's just the springs on her microphones yeah. make that sound. If you hit him yeah, like a stand-up bass. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, but yeah, no. as I was saying, yeah, just don't, don't steal a super specific thing. Right. Yeah. That you think that nobody's going to notice or. Yeah. I mean, don't yeah. kill people for things and money. That's fucking stupid and disgusting. And mm-hmm. what's the point of being a human being if you're going to do something that's stupid and disgusting. Mm-hmm. But if you do, don't pick yeah. something so specific. Nope. Yep. I completely agree. They also found a green jacket belonging to Doug that had a stain on it that looked very much like blood. When questioned, the pair said that they had, quote, no idea where Greg might be. They took the pair to jail and questioned them more extensively. Doug stuck to his story. Greg gave him his collection of antiques and he didn't know where Greg was. Last he'd heard, he was heading to Illinois. They sent Doug back to Wisconsin, where he had warrants out for his arrest. Julie tried to stick to her original story, but after the detectives pressed her, she broke and told them that Greg was dead. Whoa. Yep. She told them that on January 11th, she was in the basement of Greg's house when she heard what sounded like Greg and Doug arguing. She ran up to the kitchen to find Greg lying on the floor. When Doug saw Julie, he said, quote, I killed him. It was an accident. I hit him too hard and I killed him. She said that Doug then wrapped the body in plastic bags and sealed them with duct tape. She helped Doug drag Greg to Doug's Volvo. Then she cleaned up the blood. Doug was gone for hours, and when he returned, he told her, quote, Greg always liked the Mississippi River. Ah, oh, man. Mm-hmm. Despite Julie's confession, police thought their case was still too thin. They needed more physical evidence to convict the pair of murder. They also had another problem. They had no idea where Greg's body was. Mm-hmm. What the police and Greg's family didn't realize was part of Greg had already been found 400 miles away in Kearney, Missouri. Mm-hmm. The Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation dredged the Mississippi River and asked farmers and hunters to keep an eye out for anything wrapped in plastic that might be human remains. Oh, man. What a big job to work as a police officer near the Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if anyone's ever seen the Mississippi, yeah. it's huge. It's huge. And, and it's you know how very rivers long. do. Yeah, it's very yeah. long and it's a river. So rivers push things real hard far away. Mm-hmm. No thanks. Nope. 
So Don and Shannon printed posters offering a $15,000 reward to anyone who found their father's remains. They plastered the surrounding neighborhoods with these flyers. While they were searching, the DNA results came back from the spot on the jacket. It's no surprise that it was a match to Greg May. Mm-hmm. In December 2001, Julie pleaded guilty to stealing $70,000 worth of Greg's antiques. A few years a few years passed. Wow. As detectives gathered more evidence to bring against Doug DeBruin. On January 9th, 2004, almost exactly three years after Greg was killed, but still with no body in evidence, Iowa prosecutors charged Doug with Greg's murder. Wow. Mm-hmm. It would take months to get Doug back to Iowa to stand trial. He fought extradition and filed his own motions to dismiss the charges because he claimed his right to a speedy trial had been violated. I love that one. I love it when they do that. Well, that's not how this works, Doug. He sat in jail for his other charges, and he's he's saying he didn't get a speedy trial, but there he wasn't like charged with anything. Right. Yes. Um, I want a speedy trial for something I haven't been charged with yet. <laughs> From the time that I committed the crime, <laughs> right. the clock starts, Yeah, right? I think that was his logic. Then you like, guys need to mm-hmm. get me in there faster, not at all. Right. In January 2005, it looked like the trial was about to start, but it was delayed again for a few months. Doug's trial would definitely start in April. Meanwhile, in March of that same year, so we're in 2005, Mm-hmm. Just days before Doug's trial was scheduled to start in Kearney, Missouri, detectives finally matched the skull found in a bucket to Greg. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the timing couldn't have worked out better for prosecutors <sighs> in Iowa. God, man, if that just doesn't make you believe in a, something bigger than yourself, that good old Ron thought of the bucket, came back, knocked it over. Put it where it needed to be found. Somebody else found it. Mm-hmm. Jane Doe identifier. Well, like I said, John in this case. Identify. Yeah, that's crazy. Just that's in so the crazy. nick of time. Just in the nick of time. Damn it. Yep. Jackson County prosecutor John Keyes said, quote, I am not one to readily believe in karma or perhaps the spirit of Greg May directing things. But wow, certainly makes one think there may be forces out there working for justice other than us. Amen to that. (laughs) That, Yep. Same page, brother. Yep. The skull was sent to Iowa, where Greg's dentist matched it to Greg's dental records. Soon afterward, police called Don and Shannon to tell them that after four years of searching, they finally had some of their father's remains. Oh, man. The state had granted Julie immunity in 2002 in exchange for her testimony against Doug. Just before the trial in 2005, prosecutors decided to talk to Julie one last time. They were expecting a routine pre-trial interview, but much to their surprise, Julie changed her story. I had a feeling she was going to. Mm -hmm. Julie suddenly confessed that Doug had strangled Greg, and together they dismembered his body. They then went on a terrible road trip, scattering his remains across 400 miles of the Midwest. Oh, no! Yep. In mid-April, after hearing Julie's confession, Don and Shannon, along with other law enforcement volunteers, spent the day searching a stretch of highway Julie said part of their father might have been dumped on. Don just so happened to be the one who came upon what looked like a human bone. Mm -mm. State forensic experts confirmed it was a right femur, sliced through with what looked like the blade of a saw. Mm. 
man. No. When asked about finding her father's remains, Shannon said, quote, This is where people put their trash. My father wasn't trash. He was a human being. Part of this makes me really angry, and I'm still angry today, because I know there are remains out there that we will never find. That's awful. It's awful. It's awful. Doug DeBruin's murder trial began in April of 2005. Julie told the jury that in January of 2001, Doug covered the basement laundry room with plastic sheets, and then a few hours later, up in the kitchen, he asked Greg to check out a tattoo of a wolf Doug was doing on Julie's back. Mm. As Greg sat looking at Julie's tattoo, Doug snuck up behind him, slipped a yellow cord around his neck, and pulled it tight. God damn it. I'm not supposed to say that. Gosh, darn it. Mm -hmm. After Greg was dead, they dragged him down the stairs, and this could have been the slamming that Jan heard, mm-hmm. and dragged Greg's body to the basement laundry room where they dismembered him. Ugh, thank God the girlfriend didn't try to intervene in some way. Seriously, I know. Oy. Doug testified on his own behalf and told the jury that on January 11th, he was smoking in the basement when he heard odd sounds coming from upstairs. Quote, then Julie came downstairs, mad, slobbering, mumbling, and making no sense, Doug said. After going to the kitchen, he noticed a large kitchen knife and rag, and he saw Greg slumped over the table. He had blood on his chest. Doug checked for a pulse, but found none. Doug was sobbing from the witness stand at this point. He swore that Julie had stabbed Greg in the chest as he sat at the kitchen table. He said he laid Greg on the floor and then went back downstairs and vomited. Mm. Quote, He's my best friend. I didn't want to do what she said, Doug said. Doug and Julie both testified that the next morning they drove together to a hardware store and bought concrete and electric chainsaw. When they returned home, they dismembered Greg's body. Doug used the chainsaw. Julie used a kitchen knife. Ugh. They put the pieces in black plastic bags and wrapped the bags with tape. They mixed cement and water in one of the five-gallon plastic buckets that Greg and Doug would use when they would go fishing together. Doug then put Greg's severed head in a stocking cap and plunged it into a bucket full of cement. Oh my god. They then put the body parts into Doug's Volvo and threw Greg's remains out the window as they drove. Ugh. They wrapped Greg's torso in plastic and tied weights to it before dropping it off the Mississippi River Bridge that connects Iowa to Illinois. They left the chainsaw and some of Greg's clothes at a Goodwill, and they ditched the Volvo at an auto body shop, and Julie drove Greg's car to the Chicago suburb, where it was later found. They dumped Greg's head at a truck stop on their way to Arizona to sell his collectibles. Jeez, man. On April 21st, 2005, the jury only took one hour to declare Doug DeBruin guilty of the murder of Greg May. Good, good, good. He was sentenced to life in prison. Good. Contradictions between Julie's testimony at Doug's trial and her prior testimony in the stolen property case led the state to indict her for perjury. Julie pleaded guilty. She was sentenced to a maximum term of 60 months. You are kidding me. No, because she had immunity. Oh, that's right. Dang it. Mm-hmm. Yep, so they got her on the only thing they could. Ugh. Greg's family felt good with Doug's sentence, but everyone involved in the case suspected Julie knew that Doug planned to kill Greg and did nothing to stop him. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Don and Shannon hold out hope that despite Julie's immunity, prosecutors will somehow find a way to bring her to justice. Mm-hmm. The sparse remains of Greg May were buried in a tiny casket in De Plains, Illinois. 
Julie Miller completed a five-year sentence for perjury and was released from federal prison in 2011. She has never been charged in connection with Greg's murder. Don and Shannon May gave the $15,000 reward for finding Greg's remains to the internet web sleuth Ellen Leach, who put the puzzle together through the Doe Network. Nice. There you got it, guys. Dang it. Man, oh, man. Poor Greg. Poor Greg's family. I know. I, know. I just can't believe that they went to such extensive, crazy lengths to dispose of his body. And then we're like, do-do-do, let's just sell all these super specific treasures mm-hmm. that hundreds of people know about. And everybody's like very easy to trace back to one person. Yep. I mean, yeah. I can't believe they were like, oh, let's kill a guy for $70,000 worth of Civil War memorabilia, because that's just, I, what? what? Mm-hmm. I know. But then, oh, man. I know. I know. I've, I just, I don't know. I think that Julie had so much more. I think it was this. her like, idea. I yeah. do, too. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Like, I don't know. Doug is a... Just a doof. Yeah, but, like... I think she put that, started whispering in his ear. I think you're absolutely right. Oh, yeah. Ruffy. That's why I don't have anything that's of value. <laughs> it's the only reason I don't, because otherwise my house would be full of gold. Uh, yeah, full of... <laughs> mich- uh, trying to think of anything from the Civil War. Tiny caps. Um, <laughs> pins. Um, Those like cups that expand. Yeah. Collapsible cups. <laughs> <laughs> walls and walls and walls of those little suckers. Yeah. My favorite. Yep. Uh, what are they called? Uh, canteens. <laughs> That's me sticking it. Bayonet. Bayonet. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yep. Mm hmm. And canteens. And hats. And hats and tiny drums for little young boys. (laughs) It's the only reason I don't have all those things. Me too. Oh, buddy. Oh, man. That makes me think about, too, how how you could have these cases like this where you have remains Mm -hmm. and you have this very active murder investigation. Yes. And how tricky it is to like get the two together oh yeah i had megan read this one over and she was like let's go make all of them dollars on reward money and figure out the dough network yeah Yeah, we were laughing that that's not how this works but no i mean seriously let's all start working for the dough network well yeah it's like the i think i heard about the dough network for the first time maybe listening to bear brook that was that mentioned on Probably, something yeah. similar yeah. yeah but it's just one of those things that's so cool like the luca so magnata cool. web sleuths that figured him out mm-hmm. just the fact that there are people out there i mean i guess kind of like us but on a much more advanced and um less lazy level <laughs> <laughs> not that we're lazy but you know what i mean it's like yeah or um uh what's her bucket from I'll be gone in the dark. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Michelle Mac. Yes. Michelle Mac- McNamara. You know, that yeah. that was just, that was just who she was. She just did that. Mm-hmm. She's just like, wait a concern <laughs> minute. <laughs> like, yeah, this seems solvable. So I'm mm-hmm. just going to solve it. Oh, God, the world you know, is cool so sometimes. Smart. Yes. No. Yes. That woman who'd figured out the DNA, the genealogy, 
That's mm-hmm. definitely Bear Brook and I'll Be Gone in the Dark. That's why mm-hmm. we love true crime. This mm-hmm. is the shit that is just, just gets me. It's just so yep. interesting, right? Yep. And the bad guys do not lose. And the good guys are really smart. I love it. I love it too. When things just yep. line up just right. It just makes you, makes my hair stand up on end. I was sure. actually just talking about this last weekend with some friends about how precarious life feels when you really think about it. Like if I think about uh, when I was nannying, when we lived in Portland and I just happened to get on their computer at the right time and I just happened to see this job posting and I got the job, you know, and I applied Mm -hmm. for the job because I hated that nanny job. Mm -hmm. And because of that job, I have my wife, I have all my best friends, like everything I value in this world was because I sat down at that computer and, happen to go on craigslist at that exact moment you know things like that totally. just like ah uh-huh. <laughs> yep uh, totally understand so That's cool so cool so life is really fucking crazy and mm-hmm. awful and also exceedingly beautiful and miraculous yep. yep i know i've been thinking about that a lot with rbg uh rbg's passing and i mean yep. i real honestly it just scared me i mean i think it scared everybody but yep. like holy shit and i was like oh my god here we go and everything's ruined and then went to bed luckily yep. and woke up and just read article after article about all of the amazing people coming together and it's putting fire under people's asses yep. and donations and i was like okay yeah not all is lost yeah there are really wonderful amazing people out in the world who we all want better things exactly. for each other. Yes. So. There's so many more of us than there are of the other. And by the other, mm-hmm. I mean just truly horrible, greedy, awful people. Right. You know, there are so few of them. And right. Well, and remembering that this isn't the conservative versus liberal. Exactly. It's humans yes. versus huge money that yes. wants to control all of us bingo that's exactly it and that's dividing us and that we're Mm -hmm. allowing to divide us and allowing Mm -hmm. us to infight even though we are largely on the same page with the very really really want the same thing which is a safe place to be with our families yeah that's exactly right we don't want much it's like i don't know many people who want all of the things right you know most people right. just want to live a nice life and have a nice family and be healthy and safe. And it's not that hard to achieve, especially in this country. And they're making it mm-hmm. harder and harder. And that's mm-hmm. unacceptable. And yep. Jeff Bezos needs to write the fucking check. Write, write the, the check, check Jeff. Jeff. I hope he's listening. I'm sure he's write a huge the fucking fan of check. <laughs> Hey, Jeff. Write the fucking got check. The end. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. Yeah. No, I, I thought the exact same thing. Luckily, I had had a cocktail after many days of not having a cocktail because I went and did my first job since the pandemic. So I was very focused and very sober for about a week. Um, Mm. So I had a cocktail when that news came through. And so I didn't, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to have cocktails. And of course we like cheers for her and all the things. But when I, when I was hung over the next morning and sobering up, I was like, um, this feels so specific that it feels kind of miraculous, you know, Mm -hmm. awful and terrifying, but also I don't believe for one second that RBG would go out now if it wasn't exactly when she was supposed to go. Yeah, I hope so. You know, so 
hold that in your hearts and donate your money and make your phone bank calls and mm-hmm. write your senators and get your sweet, sweet, firm, hot, hot <laughs> high little asses to the voting booth. Please, please. I know it's, I was thinking about how our demographic of listeners supposedly is the 18 to 29 year olds. Mm-hmm. And uh, hey, guys, if you go vote, you like you have the control. Yeah. You really do. My yeah. my generation, the one right below us, go. Yes. Oh, please. Yes. Yeah. It's please. It, that's it. Yep. If young people vote, this thing is mm-hmm. so far in the bag. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Slam fucking dunk if you yep. vote. Like no, yep. que- not even a question. Nope. So. Yep. I remember I was 18 years old when Gore yeah. and Bush stole the election. Right. When that mm-hmm. election was happening, I had just turned 18. It was my first year I could have voted. And you know what I didn't do was vote. Same. And I had no idea. I really, I had no idea. I thought it's just two white guys. They all believe the same thing. It won't matter. Right. When I look back on that, I yeah. want to puke. Yeah. I regret it so much. Because you know what we got out of that debacle? Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> did. Fox News. Iraq War. Yes. No no movement on climate change. I mean, like, on and on and yeah. on and on. Uh, the 1%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're sitting there, you're 18 years old, none, none of this matters. It fucking matters. It matters so It matters more right much. now than it's ever mattered before. Go vote. Yes. You heard it from me. <laughs> <laughs> go vote, you guys. Go. Please. Yeah. Well, because also... We will pay you money to go vote. I... I will. I will give you. I will actually give you money, or keychains, or whatever you want, like a T-shirt, whatever. Yeah, high five. Well, somehow, uh, <laughs> expandable Civil War cups. I will find one. <laughs> we'll procure it. I will yep. send it to your house if you fucking yep. vote. Please. We got this. We have got this. I think that's the thing too. Back when Gore Bush, blah blah blah. Um, it kind of didn't matter. It was so close and the country was so conservative leaning that mm-hmm. our vote didn't have as much of an impact. That is not the case now. Like you mm-hmm. can actually make a difference, not like 80 style. Oh, rock the vote. Yeah, do it. Cause it's a groovy thing to do. No, actually now you mm-hmm. can, we will win if you vote. Yep. Period. Yep. So do it. Don't be dumbasses like Sadie and I. <laughs> please god because then you, you grow up and you don't have any civil war memorabilia and all you have is a podcast yep don't Just be like us stinky podcast that you love with all of your heart <laughs> no i i have a few nice things yeah just not of the civil war era Uh, anyway enough about that enough about that we love you cuties and what else do we have to talk about hey do you want to hear about some new patrons yeah so patrons 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 big thank you to laura b yeah laura b that's actually that's my wife's first name and middle initial so i extra like it i forgot to mention that this is our international patron (gasps) shout out day apparently yeah i came across to where like a few locations so nice laura from great britain holy shit awesome Mm -hmm. big thank you to lupe oh my god best name thank you lupe thank you so much to Catherine b love a Catherine b uh thank you christina j yay christina 
uh, to our bro, Jonathan B. Oh, JVB photo or whatever your Instagram handle is. Love you. Love you. And your cute corgi. Yep. Love your corgi. I'm going to name him Binkles. (laughs) Please don't. I love Jonathan and Binkles. (laughs) (laughs) And then name him Tater. Adorable. Thanks. Uh, Thank you so much to Abril N. Oh my God. uh, Either way. Great name. Love it. Uh, thank you, Tara G, Yay. who's part of our Canada convent. Yeah, convent. Get your habit. Go. That's right. Don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> and right behind Tara in the convent is Jennifer B, also from Canada. Yeah, Jennifer B, make some wine. Just make Build a hospital. Those are just things that nuns <laughs> do off the top of my head. I guess monks do wine more. Anyway, build a yeah. hospital. I'm a Smack member of the Franciscan. Yes. <laughs> Thank you to Lacey L. Yay, Lacey L. Uh, Delaney K. Ugh, all the good names today. And now, and last but not least, thank you so much, Nina M., who is from Switzerland. Shut it. We got to mm-hmm. Switzerland. Switzerland. Yes. Oh, how are we going to get all that barbecue to Switzerland? We'll find a way. A yeah. ship. I know. I was telling Ryan, like, hey, Ryan, we've got some, what I consider in my heart, some BFFs all across the world. Mm-hmm. So when we're ready mm-hmm. for mobile barbecue, jet style, yep. 2022, we're taking our barbecue to you guys. In Switzerland. In Switzerland, Australia, New yep. Zealand. Yep. Great Britain. Yep. There's some Where else? Uh, Tell me where else, you guys. There was some place that I saw recently. It was some place very small recently, like very obscure that I never heard of. Anyway, keep it coming. Yeah. Keep it We got coming. on some chart in like Malta or something. Oh, awesome. that might have been it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you guys, please spread the word. Yeah. Help us out. Yes. Rate, review, it, subscribe it. Please. Tell your friends. Oh, you've been really good at reviewing, too. Please keep it up. It's so, yes. it's so nice. So, so, yes. so, so nice. It helps us so much. Ugh. Yep. Anything else? No, man. Just find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at They Will Kill. Go to our website, theywillkill.com. Mail us at theywillkillpodcast at gmail.com. We haven't checked our dick pics inbox in a while. Last yeah. time we checked it, it was empty, so... Keep it that way, guys. Good job. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) I think Courtney's maybe disappointed. Or or not a good job, because that means you're still sending Mm. them unsolicited style Mm -hmm. to the ladies and and gentlemen in your life. Mm -hmm. And non-binary people, too, probably. Mm -hmm. So don't do it. Don't Don't do do it, it, please. Um, We already said it, but rate, review, subscribe. We're on Amazon Podcasts now. Woo! Great. Because Jeff Bezos listens. Oh, yeah. He added us personally. Well, fuck you, Jeff. Fuck you, Jeff. Also, any money that you get from my podcast, I want it to go back into the world, not into Mm -hmm. your filthy, sicka, what did I say earlier? Sickopath. (laughs) (laughs) Sickopath. Filthy, sickopath pockets. Yep. Fuck, Jeff. Um, What is after that? Thank you, AJ (gasps) Bergans. Can you, can you talk about it? I don't know. Probably but I'm going to say it, and then you can edit it out. Okay. AJ and his a gorgeous wife, Sandra, had their twins last week. Let me tell you guys, 
There has never been two cuter little twin babies in the history of That's the really world. That's really true. They're so cute. I got to FaceTime with them, cried my eyes out. Maybe not during FaceTime because I had to say hi to the babies, but I love them. They're so sweet. And, and they're they going to be a beautiful musician, smart heads. <laughs> they are. I love them. They are. They are already. So, congratulations, you guys. Congratulations, you guys. And if we're not allowed to post this, we'll talk about it next time. That's right. <laughs> uh, and remember. Um, write the fucking check, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Don't hoard wealth. If you don't have it, don't get it and hoard it. I mean, get it, right. but share it. You can have a right. lot of money, guys. You could have a lot of it. Yep. But you can't have all of it. No, you can't have all of it. Or yeah, I'm over here pointing at my eyes, pointing at Jeff's uh, eyes. Right pointing at my eyes. Fucking check, Jeff. Pointing at Jeff's eyes. Yeah, I know okay. what you, I know you listen, Jeff. I know it. I know you listen and all just all, write the check. Like one third of that money. <laughs> just a third of it would a fourth. Oh. What did I see that statistic? I put it on our Instagram. He could give each of his employees $100,000 and still have as much money as he had when the pandemic started. Vomit, vomit, fill the room with vomit. Yep. Write the fucking check. Ah. Yep. You guys, the rest of you guys, unless you're multi-billionaires listening, we love you. Yep. If you're a multi-billionaire, we still love you as long as you share that goddamn money and not in a tax exemption way, in an actual way that changes the world it's not that hard to not have nine houses right done done we love you guys love you so much goodbye goodbye the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.